My name is Laura Dawn, and you're listening to episode number 46 of the Psychedelic Leadership Podcast, featuring my conversation with Kyle Buller, who's the co-founder and director of training and education at Psychedelics Today, and he's the co-creator of Vital, a 12-month program offering a certificate in psychedelic therapies and integration. How do we bridge these ancient wisdom traditions with modern science? We've been trying to be more inclusive. So we're getting people that are coaches that want to be able to incorporate psychedelic integration into their practice and support clients. We're getting therapists who are maybe already offering psychedelic assisted therapy through uh, ketamine assisted therapy. They've been through the MAPS training. They really want to continue their educational journey, dive deeper into this uh, work and just be supported. My advice is always get educated. It doesn't have to be vital, right? Can be another program, can be a lot of free stuff. We give a lot of free, I think really, really great um, conversations on, on, on the podcast that in itself are kind of like master classes. So um, for those that just want to listen to some of our, our podcasts, get educated that way, get involved, right? So start getting out there, meeting folks, going to conferences, going to events. There's so many different ways of, of getting involved in this space right now. We always think like, man, yeah, we need lawyers that are psychedelically literate. We need, you know, graphic designers that understand this. And so how can you really figure out that skill set that you really have and think about how, you know, where's your place in the psychedelic community? If you're interested in psychedelic facilitation training and you're curious about what programs are available and what kind of training they offer, then this episode is especially for you. Hi friends, this is a little bit of a different kind of episode today. I constantly have people asking me about psychedelic facilitation training, and there are quite a few programs starting to roll out, and some have been around for a couple of years now, but this is such an emergent space. And as Kyle mentions in our conversation, it feels like we're building the plane as we're flying it. And I can definitely relate to that sentiment. So I was going to release this as a bonus episode, but I just decided to put it out as more of a pared down regular episode. So I'm not going to feature a song at the end, and it's mostly focused on me asking Kyle questions specifically about their upcoming 12-month program offering a certificate in psychedelic therapies and integration, and it starts in April. And at the end, I get a little more personal with Kyle so you can get to know him and his values a little bit better, which I think is really important to vet the people and the programs that you're considering. So, you know, if you were going to go apprentice with a shaman, for example, you'd probably want to get to know them and their character and their values. And the same goes for this as well. And just to be clear, I'm taking an unbiased approach in this conversation. I am not trying to skew it in any direction or portray it under any particular light. This is for you to tune in and gauge if it feels like the right fit for you. I have looked at their faculty, they have a lot of great people, and it is also their first cohort. And keep in mind that this is one of many paths you can take towards psychedelic facilitation, but I do think getting educated is always a good place to start. 
And as Kyle mentions in this conversation, and I totally agree, that there is going to be a huge shortage of qualified people holding psychedelic space for others. I mean, in a way, there already is a pretty big shortage of qualified people. And if you listen to my last episode, number 45, featuring Tom Eckhart and Alyssa Bazinet diving deep into Measure 109, psilocybin service providers are going to be legal in Oregon by 2023, which is just around the corner. And to my understanding, I think a large majority of the hours that you would complete with the VITAL program will likely count towards adequate training to become legally licensed in Oregon, which is something to consider and also something to look deeper into. I'm not 100% sure about that, but from what I gauged from this conversation and the last conversation with Tom and Alyssa, that's my general understanding. All right, so if you want to check out this 12-month program and all that it entails, you can click the vital link in the show notes. Also, I'd love to hear from you. Do you like me featuring episodes like this? Is this helpful for you? Please let me know. You can reach out through my website at lauradon.co or feel free to send me a message at livefreelaurad on Instagram. If you're interested in this kind of conversation, then you would likely benefit from reading my free guide on psychedelic and plant medicine integration. You can access that guide along with other free downloads at lauradon.co forward slash downloads. All right, friends, this is by far my shortest intro yet. Without any further ado, here's my conversation with Kyle Buller. All right. Welcome, Kyle. Nice to see you. How you doing, brother? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me, Laura. Excited to be here. Awesome. So let's just dive right in. Maybe for those of you who don't know who you are, let's just do a little brief intro, share a little bit about your background. How did you get to the point where you are now launching a pretty significant program for psychedelic facilitation training in the psychedelic space? Let's just start with a little brief intro. Awesome. Um, yeah, so my name is Kyle Buller, one of the co-founders at Psychedelics Today. I uh, started this project with the other co-founder, Joe Moore, back in 2016. Did my undergrad in transpersonal psychology and then did my master's in uh, counseling uh, and uh, somatic psychology. Worked in the mental health field for a bit and always been really passionate about uh, psychedelic education. So right now, yeah, I'm kind of managing the, the education side of psychedelic stay. And then um, also I'm a part-time therapist. Um, so also doing a little bit of ketamine assisted psychotherapy with um, some, some clients as well. Beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. And so tell us a little bit about why this program, what inspired you and Joe to really take, it's a pretty big leap, you know, and a huge responsibility to create a program like this. So what inspired you to do it? It's a huge undertaking. So when I was doing my undergrad in transpersonal psychology, I, I kind of really stumbled across that field after a near-death experience that I had when I was 16, and then um, came across psychedelics um, when I was 19. And that really helped me to kind of um, 
heal from some of the psycho-spiritual trauma from that near-death experience. So I was enrolled in this transpersonal psychology program. I came across two breathwork uh, facilitators, uh, Lenny and Elizabeth Gibson, who really became my teachers and mentors. And I'm also um, a staff member over at their organization, Dream Shadow. And during one of my first breathwork experiences, I just kind of had this experience of getting the message to teach around non-ordinary states, not necessarily needing to be around psychedelics, but just around the, the healing potential of, of non-ordinary states of consciousness, exceptional human experiences, holotropic states, whatever you want to call that. That actually ended up becoming my capstone project for my undergrad. I created a, a, a three-credit college course I was able to pitch to the college, and that course was called called Stan Groff's Psychology of Extraordinary Experiences or something along those lines. I'm forgetting the official title there. It really went through uh, the history of Stan's work, the history of, of uh, holotropic states of consciousness, and then also incorporated an experiential component um, to it. Students were able to go down, have their own breathwork experience, come back, talk about integration. And then uh, the following year, we, me and Lenny also did a history of psychedelics course. And so this is around 2012, 2013. Yeah, I started to get really involved in the education around um, these types of experiences and always been really passionate about it. And we were trying to do something at the college, but the college ended up falling apart. And then I ended up um, co-founding and, and developing Psychedelics Today with, with Joe. And I feel like I kind of kept that little mission alive, something that we, we really wanted to do at the college there that just kind of started to, to dissolve. Yeah, I wanted to keep that going to some degree. And so when we started Psychedelics Today, um, you know, it really started off as a podcast, but then we started to create courses. Um, and the first course that we developed was uh, Navigating Psychedelics Lessons on Self-Care and Integration. And we really wanted to kind of develop these conversations around integration since it started to become a, a topic around that time in, in 2006 and 2017. Um, so I guess that gives a little bit of background around, I guess, how I started to get involved in education and why we wanted to start to take this under our, our wing. So we launched another program, Navigating Psychedelics for Clinicians and Therapists. And it's always been my kind of vision to build out a more extensive program. Um, I had a more extensive program built out, really kind of modeling the training that I received uh, through the Gibsons, through breathwork. And it was going to model kind of similar, um, really a lot of in-person um, retreats and stuff like that with experiential components with breathwork. But you know, COVID happened and we did a little bit of a pivot. And I think for accessibility, translating some of this stuff online um, for online education makes it a little bit more accessible to, to some people. So I switched it up and yeah, that's something that's been in the works for a while and it just felt like a good time to, to do it. Mm -hmm. Thank you for sharing that. And so who is this program for? So we're trying to be pretty inclusive here. I know a lot of uh, certificate programs like CIS and MAPS and et cetera, they really require people to be licensed. Um, but something that we're really considering is looking in the future. Um, there's going to be a lot of opportunities on the horizon, I believe, um, when we look at what's already going on. So when we're looking at Oregon with their uh, legalization, with their psilocybin service centers, as well as the various decriminalization efforts that's kind of happening throughout the United States, we're going to need other people on board that, that aren't necessarily licensed. And when we look at Oregon, you know, we don't know what the, the rules are um, yet, but we, I think, do know that they are going to require 
um, somebody with a minimal requirement of a high school um, education. And there, it sounds like they might be opening it up outside the scope of psychotherapy, right? And so what does the future look like in five, 10 years if more states kind of follow suit and legalize these psychedelic service centers that just don't focus specifically on the psychotherapy aspect. So really we're trying to be inclusive. So I say this is for clinicians, therapists, doctors, really any sort of wellness professional, whether you know, you're doing massage, acupuncture, um, you're some sort of coach, an integration coach, a life coach, really thinking if you're working with clients to some degree, you know, th this program is for you. Cause we're thinking, you know, uh, there's going to be lots of people getting involved in, in different capacities. And what we really want to do is provide a, a strong foundation foundation for understanding these experiences. The one part is really to train and educate people around exceptional human experiences and how to hold space and, and to integrate that. People are doing it already, uh, right? So again, mm -hmm. if we're looking at these cities and small towns that are decriminalizing um, plant medicines and psychedelics, you know, what does the future look like? We're, we kind of need um, all hands on deck. Psychotherapy is, and the medical model is going to be one aspect of that, in, in my opinion. So we're really trying to be more inclusive and get other people that are involved that, that really want to enter into this space. So, and we're getting in that professional kind of setting. Right. And people who really just feel the call to work with psychedelics and to support other people working with psychedelics. I did recently have a conversation with Tom Eckert and Allison Bazinet. Uh, for the podcast. And they were talking about, yeah, it's it's definitely its own licensure process. And it's not necessarily for people don't have to be mental health practitioners or clinicians or doctors or nurses to be going through that program. And they already have really their core buckets, you know, of safety and harm reduction and all of the core things that anyone really needs to be trained in. So it sounds like you're already in alignment with being able to, you know, fit into their sort of licensure model in Oregon. Yeah. And so, you know, that's another question that we get asked, like, you know, we're not able to technically and legally license people to provide psychedelic mm -hmm. services, right? Mm -hmm. Like if we look at Oregon, that's going to be regulated um, by, by the board over there, but we can hopefully develop strategic partnerships with that so that our our program will meet the requirements where people can easily, um, you know, get involved there. Okay, great. Let's talk about the program. What can people expect? How much is it? How long is it? What kind of time commitment are we talking about? Anything that we want to dive into on like the nitty gritty logistics? Yeah. So this is a 12 month program. Um, so, you know, it's pretty extensive program and, and time commitment. The way that we're, we're doing this. So our Navigating Psychedelics for Clinicians and Therapists course, we've really been limiting the amount of people that can take the course. We limit it to around um, 20, 20 students per group. So we run that two times every nine weeks or so um, with some breaks in between. So really just around 40 students. So we thought about, you know, how do we scale this? So we invite more people and get more people trained because this is going to be a bottleneck um, for the, the industry, right? Getting enough people trained, getting enough people in those positions that are able to provide support and, and offer these services. So we're going to have a two-hour webinar that happens 
happens on Tuesdays and the program kicks off on April 19th, which is bicycle day of 2022 this year. And on Tuesdays from two to four Eastern time, um, that will be a live webinar where we'll have a special guest come in and present followed by some Q and A. And then, so all the students will be there at once. And then we wanted to think about, okay, how do we keep this intimate as well? So we're going to have study groups throughout the week. We'll break off into about five or so study groups where this will be kind of like the home homeroom classroom for students, be able to connect with your peers and really to, to dig into this. And this will be led by um, two of our core faculty members, a little bit of presentation probably, and then just really a place for students to come together and chat and to dig deeper into the content. So um, on a weekly basis, it's going to be about three and a half hours of classroom time, followed up by any sort of extra reading materials and, and et cetera. And so pretty consistently for the two modules that kick off from it's, yeah, April 19th is this is the first class and that kicks off with Dr. Jerry Brown exploring why the past is important. Um, so he'll be digging into psychedelic history and that goes pretty consistently all the way through July. Um, towards the end of July, I think it may be July 26 or so. And then we have some breaks and we'll have some elective modules people can take, but the end of the summer is really going to focus on retreats. And so we're looking at in-person retreats in Colorado and the East Coast for end of, uh, end of July, August, and then into Labor Day weekend. And we'll focus on primarily breath work as the modality. And then in the states that is recreationally legal for cannabis, we'll also be offering some cannabis assisted work as well. Um, and then we also are developing partnerships with retreat centers overseas. So looking at offering retreats in Jamaica and Amsterdam for legal work as well, because we believe, you know, having your own experience is, is really important, but also thinking about, you know, the variety of experiences people want to have, right? So we're not saying you need to go have a, a legal psilocybin session. Obviously, there's probably some travel restrictions for, for some people, but being able to do breath work or have any sort of experience with a you know non-ordinary state, holotropic state, I think is, is really important for the training. Again, I'm looking back at the breath work training. Most of it was experiential, having your own breath work sessions, really digging into the work um, to, to understand that process. So yeah, it's a 12-month program, um, two, two, two class times each week, and then one in-person retreat. We're going to be planning six of them, but it's required for one. And then also, I really want people to engage in their own work to some degree. And so there is a experiential elective built into this. And this is uh, it can be pretty individual, right? So if somebody wants to go out and uh, do their own ketamine-assisted psychotherapy, maybe it is engaging in some sort of somatic practice, could be going to a Vipassana retreat for a week, could be doing a, a weekend breathwork retreat additional. So really, again, really focusing on the experiential component and encouraging people to go out and, and have their own experiences. Mm -hmm. Okay. So in the class time, that's where most of the information is being communicated. That's where the curriculum is, or is there also like a backend software where it's, you go through modules and you have videos and reading resources, but it sounds like it's mostly all in class time. Class time, but we will be building out our e-learning platform. We'll we'll be uploading the replays, having resources there. We're also doing some like pre-recorded master classes um, for some of our modules. Um, so yeah, there, there's going to be tons and tons of content. And there's also um, going to be monthly webinars that will be open to our students, but also open to the public. So, you know, we're really kind of just jamming this pack with, with so much information. Um, you know, it will probably be a lot, but I think it's, it's important. And we really want to deliver 
culture, a like high quality mm-hmm. education here. I think about my grad school. I did online grad school and, um, you know, it was thinking about how much money I spent on grad school there and doing it in the online environment. And, you know, this was like pre-COVID. So I you know, wasn't maybe as advanced where Zoom started to become the norm. It was really just hanging out in forums, like, you know, got my syllabus, got the reading list, did all my work independently, and then had to just report on forums and reply to, to like one or two students. And, you know, I thought about, man, that's a lot of money and the way, mm-hmm. like the value that was delivered there. I mean, obviously I chose that because I wanted an independent learning um, opportunity, but I think we can do things in very unique ways that, um, you know, it could be way more in depth. I was a little disappointed by that. Oh, right. Can you name some of the core buckets that you're going to be covering? You really just only named like the history of psychedelics and the in-person experientials. Like what are other some of the big core buckets that you'll be covering? Yeah. So the first uh, core module is the overview and history of uh, psychedelics. So we're looking at indigenous cultures, the research. We're also incorporating some philosophy into that since that is also kind of like our lineage with dream shadow. And so looking at like ancient Greece and uh, looking at the the mystery rights there and how that could have really impacted culture. Um, and for those that have been following like the work of Brian Moore Rescue, the immortality key, mm-hmm. that is a pretty popular narrative all of a sudden. Um, and then the, the second core module is really looking at psychedelic therapies. So understanding the legal boundaries of psychedelic therapies, and then looking at the research around psilocybin, MDMA, ketamine, ayahuasca, DMT, and cannabis for treating uh, various disorders. Uh, and then the third one is the space holding and navigating a psychedelic space. So that's really focused on the retreat in person learning. And then the the core four is a medical overview of psychedelics and and clinical evaluation. So really getting more in the practical aspects of doing screening and seeing who's appropriate for this type of work, um, any risks and contraindications and and et cetera. And then the core five is really uh, looking at psychedelic integration and therapy. And so, you know, being able to do this deep dive into the psychedelics having your experience and then coming back and and doing some of your work, right? So really focusing on what does integration mean? How do we integrate these experiences? And again, really getting students engaged in their own integration process. And we'll have all that nice material to be really uh, complimentary to that. There's also a final project that's included. And this is something that we do at Navigating Psychedelics, but we're probably, yeah, we're going to expand on it a little bit more. But really, again, it's about people getting engaged in their own work. So that final project could be a, a personal integration experience that they're working through, or it could just be more professional integration. So how do I incorporate, you know, what I'm learning into my practice right now, into my life? So kind of like two ways uh, the students can go about them, leaving it a little open-ended um, because right. integration is a pretty individual process. Mm-hmm. I might have missed it, but I didn't hear you say um, safety and harm reduction or training in ethics or consent. Yeah, so that's going to be all built in. So harm reduction is going to be within the clinical evaluation piece. We are going to have uh, Kylia Taylor present her inner ethics within the course. So yeah, in each of those core modules, we're trying to actually weave all that stuff into all the classes okay. and have you know one kind of core class. But we thought about this. This isn't just one core class. 
right? We should be weaving these conversations into all the topics. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's right. the plan. We'll have Kylia Taylor present her inner ethics um, within the course and then yeah, try to weave in, you know, diversity, inclusion and ethics throughout the, the um, entire uh, curriculum. Yeah. I also didn't hear you mention anything about trauma-informed training. Definitely are going to have trauma-informed approaches. Um, yeah. So that's going to be broken down in the navigating uh, the psychedelic uh, experience the in-person retreat. So we'll go over trauma-informed somatic approaches and then also talk about that during uh, the integration phase. Okay, great. How did you go about navigating the bridge between, you know, shamanic wisdom and honoring traditional lineages with science? Did you have any sort of heated discussions around should we be on more on this side or on this side? Or how do we how do we bridge that? Um, you know, this is something that I mean, during my transpersonal psychology degree, um, I pretty much kind of like was seeped into that, right? How do we bridge these ancient wisdom traditions with modern science? And so that, yeah, that's something that we've been really thinking about and trying to honor, you know, indigenous uh, voices. So trying to also get indigenous voices included into this uh, program as well. Again, we're going to be probably focusing um, some of that with some of the live webinars and being able to invite uh, those voices in to share their experiences and their perspectives. I think it's I think it's important to be more holistic and um, include all these perspectives. Mm-hmm. How many people are you allowing into your first cohort? We're shooting for a hundred students total. Okay, great. And how much does this program cost? It is twelve thousand dollars for the the whole twelve months. Mm-hmm. Right, which in some ways that's definitely reasonable if it's going to be, you know, replacing sort of like a master's degree on a certain level. Um, and do you have scholarships available for people to make it more accessible or how, how did you guys work around that? We do. We have, um, we're dedicating around 20% of the students that are coming in. So around 20 students, if we're shooting for the hundred, that will get scholarships ranging anywhere between 10% up to a hundred percent. And so, yeah, we're in the process right now. We just closed off our scholarship ap- applications today because mm-hmm. we got a lot of that. And now we're um, doing the, the tricky thing of sorting through all that and seeing who is really fitting into that. I think that's probably the most challenging aspect of uh, this whole process is reading so many stories and trying to figure out a little bit of priority. But yeah, we ended up developing a a diversity and scholarship fund. So trying to raise money to help with uh, being more inclusive here and offering scholarships. So I think we're shooting for around $97,000 within that fund. So we can give that money back and, and invite those that necessarily maybe could can't afford it. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. How many people are on your faculty? <laughs> roughly. Um, yeah, roughly. So we have, I would say, anywhere between eight and 10 within kind of our core faculty that will be helping out with, you know, some admin stuff and then the, the breakout groups. And I think we have, I think around maybe 40 presenters throughout the whole thing, maybe, maybe more, maybe less just in that ballpark. Okay. There's a lot of uh, folks in, involved in this program, which I'm super thrilled about. Um, okay, great. Yeah. So it's not just us doing it. We're really trying to um, you know, get a lot of different voices and kind of uh, co-create this thing together. 
Beautiful. And in terms of, I'm sure you've had this question asked to you. I know I get this a lot when people ask me about my programs is like, what can I expect out on the other side? Like, what can you tell people about what they will therefore be trained and ready for when, once they complete this 12 month program, are you saying that they're sort of quote unquote qualified to hold space or serve medicine or, you know, which I know is a tricky thing to say, but yeah. What's your take on that? You know, we're trying to, we know that people are going to use this information and, um, you know, do what they're, they're going to do, especially uh, in those places where it's decriminalized and maybe there's a little bit more flexibility to offer those services. We don't encourage or condone any sort of illegal activity. We can't necessarily say we are legally training facilitators or licensed to go and do this stuff. We know that people are, are going to do it. We really want to create psychedelic literate people. So what can you do with this, right? So if you are a professional, you know, I'm a therapist right now. So for example, I'm able to take this information and really support my clients, having a deeper understanding of how psychedelics work, what they're used for, and then also how to uh, support clients if they are engaging in in their own work on the integration and harm reduction side. So clients um, coming in saying, hey, you know, I'm interested in this. I read all the research. Um, you know, how do I stay safe? How do I make the most out of it? So really training people on that harm reduction and integration side so you can really you know, serve your clients in a better way. If you are in the unique position, you know, there's a, some of our past students in, in navigating psychedelics have gone off to work at retreat centers, right? So developing that education and getting into those, those legal areas. Other folks, uh, we had one student that actually became a, uh, I think the director of education at a pretty well-known psychedelic organization. So, you know, I think it is important to, to get your education, getting, you know, ahead of the curve a little bit. Um, so you are able to, to really make these career moves when, uh, you know, the field is really here. On the legal note, right? So psychedelics aren't federally legal. You know, they're still legal. If we're looking at the FDA process, um, might be a few years until clinicians and therapists are, are really able to integrate that into their practice legally. You know, we're, we're just not there yet, unless you are working with ketamine, for example. Um, that is one legal uh, substance that clinicians and therapists can use in conjunction with their, their prescriber and, um, you know, a, a doctor. So there might be additional trainings. Like if we look at the MAPS training, it sounds like, you know, there, if you want to do MDMA assisted psychotherapy specifically, you know, you might have to also get training in MAPS. We're trying to develop strategic partnerships with, again, Oregon MAPS and, and other folks. So, you know, we're able to hopefully bridge that gap a little bit more, but we're still kind of in the early phases because, you know, as I always like to say, everybody's building the plane as we fly it, right? Totally. Um, everybody is just, it, it feels like it's here, but it's also not here at the same time from the, the legal perspective. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, trying to get ahead of it and, and just do, do what we can. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I also really like to remind people listening that there are so many ways to play in this space. Yep. You know, doing guide work or facilitation work is one of hundreds of ways that you can support this movement. Yeah. I mean, I didn't think I would have a psychedelic media and education company. I went down the clinical route and thinking I'm just going to do therapy and, you know, psychedelic therapy may be in the distant future, but, you know, I definitely went to all the educational workshops and conferences that I 
could go to. I did my undergrad in transpersonal psychology because I was like, you know, it's not here yet, but I want to get educated and kind of be ahead of the curve when it when it does uh, get here. So, you know, when I actually started my educational journey, everybody's like, what are you doing? Like, there, there's no mm-hmm. career in that. And thinking mm-hmm. like, I don't even know if there's going to be a career, but I'm just really passionate and I, I want to learn about all this work in, in this field. Um, and so, yeah, there's a lot of good groundwork people can do um, at, at this time as the mm-hmm. field is, is rapidly developing. Mm. And since you've already looked at so many applications, any patterns that you've noticed? Are a lot of people more psychedelically naive or are they already doing work with psychedelics? Like what, are, what have you noticed about the demographic applying? Yeah. So again, you know, we've been trying to be more inclusive. So we're getting people that are coaches that want to be able to incorporate psychedelic integration into their practice and support clients. Um, we're getting therapists who are maybe already uh, offering psychedelic assisted therapy through uh, ketamine assisted therapy. They've been through the MAPS training. They really want to continue their educational journey, dive deeper into this uh, work and just be supported. Um, we're getting people that are have no background in this, but they think like, hey, this is a good start, right? And I want to get involved. So, you know, we're getting people that are just slowly entering into the professional field, graduate students and, and just students that are doing their, their undergrad right now. So yeah, everybody from, you know, the, the, the lay person that's just getting involved all the way up to, you know, medical doctors that are just wanting to really expand their, their education. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I think is really missing in Western models are apprenticeship and mentorship models. And this is your first cohort. So I'm kind of curious, like, how are you navigating the apprenticeship mentorship conversation? That's a great question. And I feel very fortunate. And this comes back to this topic of scalability and bottlenecking. Um, and I don't know really the, the right way forward here. So when I think about my experience, for example, with going, I've had really great mentors and I've, I feel like I've just been very, very fortunate enough to have those mentorships. So when I think about the breathwork training, for example, if I went through a different program, I would have kind of been in, in a bigger group of people and maybe not had that close mentorship. Um, when I was working with Lenny and Elizabeth, I was very, very involved in the process on the floor with them all the time, uh, just direct feedback all the time. I mean, they, they really mentored me and the rest of everybody um, over at Dream Shadow uh, pretty significantly. And so mm-hmm. that's something that I've been thinking about. It's like, how do we keep these groups small where we do have mentorship going on and keeping that thread alive. Um, And so that's why I was thinking about these smaller breakout groups where, you know, we have our core faculty where they're able to become mentors to the students and really engage in it. And then also it's not advertised as much on on the website at the moment, but after graduation, I really want to keep the threads alive with consultation and and supervision and, and groups. So after people are graduated from the program, then having this opportunity to stay involved with consultation groups. So we are continuing that mentoring, being able to get that in-person mentorship at retreats and workshops. Yeah, it's it's a challenging thing to try to keep it small and intimate and have that very direct personal mentorship going. And then also thinking about scalability. But I think we can do that by having a lot of these different breakout groups and being able to hire uh, you know, lots of teachers that, that can really keep that instead of it just being like Joe and I, or you know, just a few people. Whereas mm-hmm. in like 
you know, the dream shadow, it's really has just been Lenny and Elizabeth doing that mentoring um, for so long. And so, you know, br- being able to bring in a lot more professionals to offer that mentorship along the way. Mm-hmm. And I'll include the link in the show notes, but what is the website for people to learn more? Yeah, it's uh, vitalpsychedelictraining.com. Okay, wonderful. And I can't let you go until we get just like a little bit personal here, cool. as I do on all of my podcasts. I want to put you on the spot here Uh-oh. and just ask you a couple of questions about psychedelic leadership. And what have you learned putting this together, being at the forefront? Leadership is really this fun, scary place of stepping beyond the edge and creating something that doesn't yet exist, which we really are doing, as you said. You know, we're building the plane as we're flying it right now, which I feel like that all the time. So, on a personal level, being a leader in the space, what have you learned about yourself? Whew. Yeah, it has been a journey. You know, there's been lots of ups and downs. Um, I think the one thing, and I think a lot of entrepreneurs and leaders may struggle with just kind of like that imposter syndrome. Like there's definitely been times where I'm like, who am I to put together this program, right? Or, or who who is psychedelics today to put this together? But, you know, there's lots of different programs coming up. And, you know, even though, um, you know, it was me and a few of uh, our, our team members at, at Psychedelics Today that kind of really crafted the career curriculum and, and built that out, really inviting others to participate. And so I really wanted this to be a, a collaboration amongst all the professionals in the space. And so, yeah, it, I mean, there's definitely a little bit of that like imposter syndrome. And I got to remember, okay, you know, I've been in, at this for quite a while and, and to really had to step forward in that. And I think the tricky thing with all this right now is that we're, again, we're operating in a market where it's not legal yet. Right. And so there's mm-hmm. so many like, you know, possible delays the regulations, uncertainty, sitting with uncertainty and saying, I don't know, right? And having a little bit of like humility with that, which doesn't always come across as great sales, right? Because you want to be pretty confident in, in knowing some of that stuff, but also just being really honest about some of the uncertainties as well. And that's that can be kind of challenging, I think, as a leader going, okay, we're entering into this just totally uncertain area. I mean, you know, laws could change again, right? They're, I feel like the cat is definitely out of the bag at this moment, but, mm-hmm. you know, there's that small percentage that, um, you know, things could go backwards and then it kind of all goes back into the underground, which I don't think is going to happen. But, you know, there's mm-hmm. that small percentage that, that could. And then what does that look like if, if, if that, that, that does happen, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, just humility, you know, just being, um, you know, easy on, on myself at times. That's mm-hmm. really important. Gentle reminders of, you know, this is really tough work and also uh, I think takes a little bit of courage to step out into the public to talk about taboo and controversial things that are still illegal. Um, I think that's Mm -hmm. maybe one of the biggest challenges at times of like, whoa, yeah, this is like sexy and people are talking about it. But, um, you know, and, and lots of people like to step into that. But then also, you know, thinking about the the, the legality of things as well. I mean, that, that's mm-hmm. a very real thing for a lot of people. People have spent years right. in prison for, for, you know, handling these substances. And also on the professional note, being honest about personal past experiences, right? That definitely is a risk for a lot of professionals, um, stepping into this realm um, due to their licensing and stuff like that. And so, you know, there's all these risks that we're taking on um, dealing within this arena. So, yeah, I think it does take a little bit of courage. And, you know, I definitely have my up days and down days. And some days, like, I got this. And then other times, I'm like, 
what is going on? This is tough mm-hmm. and challenging and, and mm-hmm. stuff like that. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just managing overwhelm because there's a million things to do and full days. Do you have any sort of strategies to help you stay calm, stay centered, you know, stay focused on what's really important, not get overwhelmed? (laughs) Yeah. For me, it's like really setting boundaries and limits. And so really trying to schedule out time to go snowboarding, to go biking, to go out in nature, um, maybe, and this is somewhat terrible, but yeah, um, setting limits around like when I'm in my inbox, um, because there's just so much work that needs to be done. Um, and then just being overwhelmed by like, you know, all the requests that aren't necessarily vital related, just like mm-hmm. industry requests and stuff like that, where I'm like, okay, what can I really take on? Cause I mean, this is another thing I, I would love to just, you know, bring up and chat about is just burnout. Yeah. And, you know, I think we really need to be honest about burnout and taking on too much in a rapidly developing field. And if we're working with very, very, very powerful states of consciousness, I think we need to be Mm well-resourced and, you know, really think about like where our priorities are and how much time and energy we're we're committing to things. And I think that's going to be essential for practitioners to really know moving forward. Um, You know, because if we are going to be opening people up um, with these, you know, states of consciousness, you know, we want to also be sure we're well-resourced to do so. So I think that is really important is like finding our own boundaries, our own limits, um, and being really honest about that. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'd also love to just name that a lot of people feel quite a lot about money and medicine and we are, you know, operating business models within late stage capitalism. Money is still our currency of exchange. And I'm curious, and especially when we get, uh, you know, VC funding (laughs) injected into the mix and there are investors who have expectations and voting rights and all of these things. So I'm kind of curious, um, how do you stay rooted in your integrity and are you, do you feel from your perspective and your personal experience, do you feel like you're meeting your edge around and, and being challenged? Your integrity is being challenged on like a daily, weekly basis. Yeah. yeah, (laughs) Yeah, yeah, And how do you navigate that? A lot of self-inquiry, I think. Um, and just awareness around that. Yeah. I mean, that's been one of the biggest challenges I think is just the business development, Like, um, you know, I feel like I definitely have an entrepreneurial nature, but I think I approach business from time to time in a much different way than say traditional businesses. Um, so there's this part of me that, you know, really wants to keep it small, right. It wants to keep it just something manageable. And then there's also the other part that is really like, you know, having capital and being able to build out and and serve people on on a much bigger scale is also, I think, important, right? Again, we're thinking about bottlenecks um, in the industry and and training and how do we do that, right? And then the, I think the thing I struggle with too is like competing in in the world, right? We're seeing all this competition, all these, all the money flowing in programs being developed and this like urge to want to compete a little bit. Um, But I don't know, I keep coming back to more cooperation. How do we like co-create this field together? How do we see our own limits um, and see where somebody may be doing something that they're, they're, they're better, you know, they're, they're, I think about therapy, for example, like when I take on a client, there are certain skills and things that, that work, work really well. And I have training for certain clients. And then there's other clients that I just don't see, I I can serve them well. So it's like, okay, how can I refer them out? 
right? Mm -hmm. There's somebody else out there that does this way better, has more training. Um, and I think that's, you know, from my perspective, like how do we become a little bit more cooperative? Um, but you know, that also kind of challenges, I guess, like capitalism and wanting to compete and be the best and, and et cetera, et cetera. So it's a hard thing. You know, we haven't, you know, you, you brought up uh, investors and stuff like that. You know, we haven't brought on any, any investors with capital. We've been really trying to do this, um, build, build it up from the ground up. Whereas oh, a lot of, good. a lot of some of these companies are bringing in capital and building companies really quickly and having good PR strategies and being more mm -hmm. flashy. And it looks like it's like, Oh mm -hmm. man, like they're, they're doing such great things. And then you have to mm -hmm. remind ourselves that, yeah, we spent, you know, years and years trying to build this. And then, you know, do we feel guilty by then wanting to take on investors? I mean, you know, we have brought on partners, but we haven't taken any capital from anybody yet, you know, maybe mm. in the future, because it, this program is going to cost a lot of money to put on. And so when people yeah. talk about pricing, they go, oh, that's so much. And then, you know, you don't see the back end of like how much we're actually trying to pay teachers and how much this program is actually going to run. And, you know, what <laughs> type of profit does the company actually make? Um, after paying right. everybody out. It, mm -hmm. I think that's been the most challenging thing is just trying to, you know, navigate money within this world, because I think there is this idea that everything should be free. Mm -hmm. I would love that. <laughs> and I'm always reminded that like, you know, there's, I remember years ago, there was a ceremony happening. Um, it wasn't a psychedelic ceremony. It was a, like a fire ceremony um, where I was living in Vermont. And there was all this discussion that ceremony should never um, people shouldn't charge for ceremony. And the organizer was like, well, I have to fly this grandmother up from Guatemala. I have to pay for her airfare. I have to pay for the lodging. I'm just asking for a donation. Um, and, mm -hmm. you know, we want to support this. And I'm always reminded that, yes, at one point ceremony was free because we lived in communities that supported each other and people were bringing food together. People were providing, you know, that support during that time. Maybe you didn't have rent to pay because nobody owned the land. Right? right. And we're just in a way, way different place. And I think there's this romanticism about the past that just doesn't really apply anymore. Mm -hmm. um, and I think we have to be honest about that and say, we live in a different world than a lot of traditional mm -hmm. cultures. And, you know, you have to pay rent. I have to pay rent. We have bills, I have, you know, massive student loan debt from, you know, taking on that professional training and it's like this is reality and i would love to give stuff away for free and we do mm -hmm. i mean we, we and you do we do we, we give tons mm -hmm. away for free um, yeah so i think that's the most that's been one of the more challenging things when we get comments like that of like oh this is so expensive or oh this or that or oh this stuff should be free and you know it mm -hmm. kind of challenges my internal stuff of like yeah i wish this could be free but that's also mm -hmm. not reality <laughs> right it's so funny you said that. I wonder if I had any influence in that decision to not take on venture capital when I saw Joe, and for those listening, Joe Moore is your co-founder of Psychedelics Today. I saw him at Medelic and he was talking about, you know, we're thinking about taking on investors. And I said, hold out as long as yeah. possible. <laughs> the moment you take on, not that taking on venture capital, I know so many people are taking on venture capital funding right now. And I don't know if you're cluing into this, but a lot of the conversations I've been having in even just the past two weeks, a lot of companies who have just had huge injections of so much money because there are hundreds of millions of dollars flooding into the psychedelic space right now, they're actually built on stilts and yeah. they're really starting to struggle. Yeah. And I think that's going to be a thing because, again, like, you know, I see some of these companies that have products 
well, you can't really sell a product right now since you're still in a legal market and all that money that came into that, like, you know, how are you getting returns on that? I think we're seeing that with some of those, you know, companies that are saying, well, we're developing like this psilocybin chocolate and, you know, we're mm-hmm. doing R and D right now and we've raised, you know, $10 million. And it's like, well, mm-hmm. all right, well, the market's also not here. So, you mm-hmm. know, I think there is something to being too early to, uh, you know, uh, industries and just right. trying to, time it. And, you know, the, the, the tricky thing that Joe and I have, um, you know, really talked about is that psychedelics today was a passion project, right? So mm-hmm. this started off with just wanting to continue our teacher's lineage to some degree and include, try to get breath work back into the psychedelic conversation a little bit more. This, you know, it started, we started to get more business minded as, as the years went on, but this really just started as a, a passion project of ours, something that we mm-hmm. wanted to do. We weren't thinking like, you know, let's start a big psychedelic business, this and we're that. We're going to get rich. We're going to get rich. Yeah. We're like, there's no money in this right now. And again, like the industry is not, not uh, here as, as much as we think it is. But in the past few years, I mean, things have really expanded and blown up and it's like, whoa, it, it's crazy. I think like when we started in 2016, where things were at, or even like when I was trying to, you know, decide what I wanted to do. I'm like, okay, I did my undergrad in 2010 thinking, okay, I'm going to go like, you know, not much was going on. There was stuff going on, but compared to now, it's like, it's so crazy. So, I mean, that's something like we think about is like, you know, we have this lineage that we've been trying to infuse into the psychedelic state brand, that integrity. How do we keep that alive? but also grow a company. And maybe that does um, kind of include us uh, include a little bit outside of that lineage too. So it's this weird, tricky thing of like wanting to grow the company, really wanting to, to do good in the world. And then also trying to, to keep that very personal uh, mission and vision alive. And again, you know, what happens if we um, end up do bringing on capital to, you know, help fund the project, pay employees, um, build out, you know, new departments and stuff like that. Um, you know, does that change? the mission um, over time. Mm-hmm. Well, I think you have to build that into the agreements. And yeah. that's where it takes a, a really super solid understanding of what your core values are. Yeah. Um, you know, not having investors have voting rights, which is something you usually have to really defend yeah. and fight for, you know, and things like that. So I think there are ways to build in integrity, you know, into your model yeah. and looking at other models and reaching out. Yeah. And I think being really honest about that with people before you start taking on their money. Right. And so hopefully mm-hmm. you get people get really clear on that. And then when you talk to folks, they, they kind of know that beforehand. Right. Mm-hmm. If you had to name the three core values that you're building your business on top of, what would you say those three core values are? One for me is definitely more inclusion in, into this. Like I really think about a lot of the privilege that comes with the field and just, you know, for example of just having it within the medical community, I think about, you know, this healer archetype that a lot of people embody, right? They have these, these skills that they're just naturally gifted at. And maybe they didn't have the privilege to take out a lot of, you know, loans and, and stuff like that to go through that traditional process. But, you know, do we just push those people aside? And so I think about how do we become, you know, more inclusive? For me, you know, that one value is really kind of trying to stick to our roots a little bit more. So that I think about integrity, how do we keep our integrity as we build 
old, you know, psychedelics today. And then uh, some other things I really think about is like, how do we give back? Think about reciprocity, also sustainability. And I know sustainability is kind of like a funny word, but, you know, I, I think about that in terms of the medicines, um, mm-hmm. you know, we do have some concern around say peyote or, you know, the buffal various toad. And mm-hmm. there's, you know, we, we need some conservation efforts to mm-hmm. uh, think about the ecosystem. I mean, that's definitely been a huge thing that um, Joe and I talk about on the show. If you follow, mm-hmm. just thinking about spaceship earth and mm-hmm. thinking about, you know, how do we be stewards of this? Mm-hmm. Um, and how do we keep that alive without overusing and, and stuff like that? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe we should discuss a partnership around grow medicine. Yeah, plant medicine that'd be, conservation. That'd be amazing. Yeah. Do you have anyone that you're currently giving back to? Um, you know, right now we're, you know, just looking at the students um is the first. Mm-hmm. And then I mean, we haven't had any, you know, strategic partnerships developed, but you know, I know Joe's been really passionate about the whole uh Buffal various thing and mm-hmm. wanting to uh, support that. Um, I would love to be able to give back to any um, you know, indigenous uh folks that could really use that and, and communities. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. not, nothing in stone yet. I've, you know, we haven't had money, right? So, mm-hmm. um, you know, mm-hmm. I think as we are able to build the company and um, be able to be in a, a position to give back, I mean, we've been mm-hmm. really bootstrapping a lot of this. So, mm-hmm. yeah, totally get it. I love, uh, so we're doing so much work on the conservation side, talking about narratives, you know, uh, Grow Medicine is a project of the Indigenous Medicine Conservation Fund, and they're doing incredible work. And we're actually rewriting the narrative from giving back to sort of paying it forward and Mm. moving away from reciprocity towards right relationship. And what does it mean? And actually moving away from reciprocity as simply transactional. And so we're, we're working with these taglines, like pay it forward, pray it forward, like supporting the system sustainability for generations to come. I like you know? that. So, so it's not just like, a, oh, we made money. Now we need to give back. It's actually like pay first, <laughs> you know, give first, pay it forward, like, you know, support the next seven generations. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's a, a really great way of, yeah, I think about that. Yeah. Supporting the next seven generations and how do we build those systems um, to mm-hmm. support that? Um, mm-hmm. and, yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Anything else you want to just wrap up on? Anything that we didn't cover that you feel like sharing for our listeners? This has been great. And I guess, you know, for those that are just really interested in getting involved in this space, um, you know, my advice is always get educated. It doesn't have to be vital, right? Can be another program, can be a lot of free stuff. We give a lot of free, I think really, really great um, conversations on 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 the podcast that in itself are kind of like master classes. So um, for those that just want to listen to some of our, our podcasts, get educated that way, get involved, right? So start getting out there, meeting folks, going to conferences, going to events. There's so many different ways of, of getting involved in this space right now. We always think like, man, yeah, we need lawyers that are psychedelically literate. We need, you know, graphic designers that understand this. And so how can you really figure out that skill set that you really have and think about how, you know, where's your place in the psychedelic community? Doesn't always need to be clinical, doesn't always need to be in the space holding uh, sector, but there's space for everybody. But, you know, just start engaging in your own process, getting out there, meeting folks, getting educated. And yeah, Mm. we're going to build this together, right? Mm -hmm. Um, We're we're all in it together. Mm, Thank you so much, Kyle. Always a pleasure dropping in with you. Thanks for playing on my coming to my hot seat, sitting in the hot (laughs) seat so we can get to know you better as well. So thank thank you so much for that. Appreciate it. 
Hi, friends. Thank you so much for tuning into another episode of the Psychedelic Leadership Podcast. If you're curious to learn more about this 12-month psychedelic facilitation training, please click on the vital link in the show notes. If you've been enjoying the show, I would so appreciate it if you could take a moment to leave me a review on iTunes. Please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you'd like to be in touch, please feel free to reach out through my website, lauradon.co, where you can also access a whole bunch of amazing free downloads, including a free plant medicine integration guide. You can also reach out to me on Instagram at livefreelauradee. Once again, my name is Laura Dawn, and you're listening to the Psychedelic Leadership Podcast. Until next time.